You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you today. On this week's episode, I was joined by Tom Kubinek, President and CEO of Secure Gun Storage. And this was such an awesome podcast to record with Tom because he resides in upstate New York where Secure runs its daily operations. And this episode was really unlike any other that I've done in the past because Tom brings a ton of knowledge and experience to this conversation about not letting fear of failure hold you back from accomplishing a goal. And to kick things off, Tom explains a little bit about himself and shares some great stories and experiences along the way from being a professional guitarist and having health issues that really forced him out of that career path to then learning sales and starting a few different companies. We discussed how he went from his previous work into what really secure it is today. This was an interesting take since the U.S. military needed a problem solved and Tom was able to innovate and simplify and create this awesome, awesome gun storage. We discussed what challenges he faced during this time period and how he overcame them. From there, we transitioned into commercial sales where now the everyday consumer can benefit from secure products. We wrapped things up talking about hunting up in New York and getting kids involved. So really want to thank Tom for coming on. Thank you for everybody for all of your support. If you really like what you hear, please go leave a five-star review, whether that be on iTunes or on Spotify. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you in the turkey woods if you're going out there hunting, fishing, spending time with your family. Enjoy it. God bless. And before we dive into this week's episode, I want to mention a few things regarding some of my favorite gear that I use. And turkey season's going to be in full swing this week. Tethered released their M2 vest that they worked with the guys from over from the hunting public. And the M2 vest is extremely modular. Tons of great videos already of various ways you could hook this thing up. I'm loving mine and really excited. I took it out already for the youth hunt here in Pennsylvania. So awesome, awesome vest. I can't wait to see what we could do with it in the whitetail woods as well. It's made right here in the USA. So check it out over at tethernation.com. Also want to share with you an exclusive code over with my buddy from Shea Butler Knives. Shea's been a great friend of mine for the last three years. He makes custom everyday knives to the ultimate hunting knife. Amazing creativity. Just the knife that you're going to receive is made by him. No one else. No middleman. So if you head over to Shea Butler Knives, pick out that knife that you like. Save 25% by using code ANTLERUP25. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of MMT arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. And use code AU12 to save 12% off your custom set over at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. I'm joined by a very special guest. I guess you would, I don't, I shouldn't say I guess. He is the uh, global leader in weapon storage and armory design. I'm joined by Tom Kubinek from Secure It. Welcome, Tom, to the show, man. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, it's great to be on. I appreciate the invite, and uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Good, man. I appreciate it. This is this is exciting, and, you know, your story is so unique. It's probably, <laughs> it's nothing like anyone that I've had on prior to 
the previous 170 guests. <laughs> There's no one could sit there and say they've been a professional guitarist. They've uh, started their own company doing different things for storage units and uh, online storage. And then now creating, like I said, and just going with the global leader in, in weapon storage. So Tom, I, I'm thrilled we could talk hunting. You fr you're from Syracuse. So I, I don't want to take your your uh, intro away from you, but I'm so thrilled because there's so many different directions we could go in uh, and I'm, I'm excited for this. So Tom, where, I guess I've, I'm a big baseball guy. I've always asked individuals, what's your baseball card, you know, bio background that, that, you know, couple minute elevator ride uh, talk. And then we could dive down how certain things of, of your life experience really helped you be the person that you are today. Right. We can, yeah, it's, it's, it really comes down to phases or stages because I kind of, I didn't set out to, but I was kind of forced into reinventing who I was several times just as, as life presents crazy stuff. But um, as of now, you know, secure tactical, we are the global leader in military weapon storage, armory design. That's our, that's our core. We're now into retail consumer products um, with a line of fast access, lightweight, modular gun safes. We basically took, you know, 22 years of military experience and put it into a line of products for the consumer market. And, you know, we started that in 2015, the consumer, we came in very slowly into the consumer space. As of last year, the, the retail products is probably 80% of our business now. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, the market is so much bigger. The military, you know, it sounds impressive. Global leader in military weapons. <laughs> it's a really small market. It's, I mean, it's, it's a tiny niche business that we just became very good at. Um, but my, yeah, my background was, uh, I started playing guitar when I was 13 and that's, uh, pretty much all I did. So I got up to, you know, I was playing seven, eight hours a day. That's really all I did. Um, got kicked out of my house cause all I did was play guitar and started playing in bands. Um, I was playing in bars when I was 16 ish. And, uh, I really was consumed with this idea of being, I just wanted to be a professional guitarist, be the next rock star, the whole, the whole thing. Um, guitar player magazine. I sent a tape to guitar player magazine in 1983 and they did an article on me as it was a series of articles you're doing. Who, who's the best unknown unsigned guitarists. Okay. Sending tapes. And I was one of the guys they did an article on. So I was, uh, kind of riding pretty high figuring, wow, things are going to start happening. I moved out to Hollywood and, uh, to really pursue a career and life in music. And a little after I got out there and, Things were going well. I started, I developed tendonitis in my arms. Okay. I was, I was playing too much. And uh, I wasn't a workout guy, so I didn't really understand the physics. You know, many years later, I started going to the gym. I started getting in really good shape. And I realized I learned a lot about working muscle groups. I was playing very fast technical guitar every day. And I really blew my forearms out and uh, never, never could heal from it. So I was no longer. I woke up one morning realizing I will never be a guitar player. And then I got, I took a job in sales cause I had no skills and uh, <laughs> just kind of, you know, I did that and I was horrible at it. In fact, they moved me to a non-selling position cause the guy liked me, but I couldn't sell. I, I was, I sucked. I was bad. <laughs> and, but I could see where the, the commission reps were making money. Right. And I, you know, I, at the time I'm getting paid, you know, seven bucks an hour. I'm going, you know, this is not my future. I, I just, I've got to do something. So I quit that job and took a straight commission sales job at one of our comp competitors and uh, just immersed myself in the world in sales saying, you know what, either I got to, I got to do this yep. or, or I'm going to be on the street. I've, I've got to figure something out because I've got, I've got nothing else. And I just started reading books on sales. I list mainly listening to cassette tapes, driving to and from my office um, I did self-hypnosis on sales. I did everything I could. Um, you know, I took eight hours of practicing guitar and put it into eight hours of working on sales. Right. And uh, over the next five years, I became very good at it. Two years after I started that job, I quit and started my own company in an apartment in a really bad neighborhood in uh, <laughs> the San Fernando Valley. In fact, it was a lot of cops. There was some gunfires, a lot of, a lot of drugs, but it was cheap. And, uh, Started a small business. A couple of years later, we had, I had a partner. We had 18 sales reps three years later um, in a small office and we were doing well. Sold my, my partner and I had different ideas. So I sold to her and uh, went off on my own, started Greenline Data doing the same thing. 
got into developing websites in the late nineties, just taught myself code and uh, made all these websites just with the idea. This is before SEO, this is before Google. Right. And just, uh, just started thinking, man, if people can find my websites, maybe they'll contact me and want to buy my stuff. I made websites for crossbows. I made websites for all sorts of crazy stuff. And uh, I ended up with getting hits for tape racks. You know, my computer company at the time, we were selling computer supplies, you know, toner, printer ribbons, paper. And back then, backup tapes were a huge item. Yep. And because they were so low capacity, big companies would have thousands of these tapes. So they had these big metal racks that would, would store and organize all your backup tapes. And we started selling, getting hits for tape racks. I created a website called taperack.com. And we went on to become probably America's largest seller of computer and data storage racking. Wow. It, it, it became a very successful business. And then the HIPAA laws came out. So I created HIPAA laws were the, you know, the medical, medical. You have mm-hmm. to lock all the hard drives. Yep. And that requirement hit and all of a sudden overnight, it's like, holy cow, we got to do something. So I created securelaptopstorage.com and became a huge seller of laptop storage cabinets. And I mean, we were spamming. I was doing all the stuff we were doing back then is stuff that you'd get flagged and booted so quick now. Yeah. It was, it was so spammy, ridiculous and manipulative, but back then it worked. Right. And then, uh, we did that for a couple of years in 2001. I got a phone call from a guy and he just says, yeah, hi Tom, can you guys store an MP5? And I'm like, sure. Now I'm thinking computers and I, I'm thinking a laptop and going, okay, what the hell is an MP5? I'm like, I, sure. I go, What's an MP5? And he starts laughing. He goes, oh, it's a That's little submachine fun. gun. <laughs> and, uh, I started laughing. I go, who is this? And he's with the FBI. And uh, I like, you know, I'm sure we can. Yeah. I said, can you give me a little, can you give me a couple of weeks? Let me do a little research. I talked to him for about a half hour and then I started doing some research and very quickly found articles and notes that the U.S. military was struggling. They, had, they were transitioning from the M16. To the M4, right? The M4, right, which is really a standardized 39-inch rifle, all the same. The M4 was really considered a weapon system with, you know, the SOP, you know, Special Force had a SOP mod attachment with all the optics were, were, come, were becoming very prevalent, but the gun had a lot of moving parts and a lot of different things you could do with it. And the weapon racks and all the armories across the U.S. were all designed for a 39-inch fixed rifle. So everything was falling apart. And uh, I called my manufacturer who made laptop cabinets for me. He was in Canada. Uh, we were good friends. I said, Steve, I got a, I got a crazy idea for you. Let's build weapon racks. He started <laughs> laughing. He, he said, Tom, I'm talking to the Canadian government right now. They want us to build racks for them. I said, so we got together, came up with a what we call the integrated weapon storage platform a modular system to store firearms or weapons and started selling into the U S military. We start, you know, we, things were going, Oh, it was growing slowly, steadily, but his product was really designed for the Canadian military requirements. And he would not make changes that I was requesting. And he wouldn't give me an exclusive in the U S because we were doing all the work. Right. And then it would come out and he had other dealers that knew nothing about weapon storage, submitting quotes, trying to undercut me. So we ended up parting ways and we designed our own system. And then 2006, now, again, I was a really good at laptop storage. I was good at, at designing, you know, laying out systems for storing, you know, backup tapes and things like that. I didn't know anything about armories, but nobody did. Uh, 2006, um, USAFIC, which was U.S. Army Special Forces Command, that's, they no longer exist. Now that's part of the SOCOM community, uh, Special Forces um, they put out a solicitation for an arms room assessment. And what it was, they wanted to hire a company to come in, tour all their armories, talk with the armorers, and really and present a report, a detailed report as to why their armories are failing and what they could do to fix it. Okay. Now, nobody knew how to do this. This is all new. So we secured a meeting with the colonel down at Fort Bragg. Uh, secure it at the time was a three-person company. I had a girl in the office. I had Gary Myrick, who was a sales. He looked like a tier one operator. He, he wasn't. He was a sales guy. He just he looked the part. And he spoke <laughs> he the part. a good military. And uh, we walked into this meeting and brag. And we were, you know, we're in the hotel in the morning, you know, going like, are our shirts white enough? I mean, can we can we pull this off? Because we were, we had no idea what we were doing other than I knew how to sell. 
I knew the basic storage. So I walked in and met the Colonel. I said, hi, Colonel, my name's Tom Kubinick. I'm considered the leading authority in small arm storage and armory design. I think we're the company to to do this project. And we sat down, talked for a half hour and left. And Gary's like, what the, what was that? (laughs) Gary, you know what? It just kind of came to me when we were sitting there. Nobody knows this space. There is no authority here. I just claimed it. Anybody else wants to say that I'm not, they're going to, they're going to look foolish and say, no, that guy's not the authority. I, I mean, I get, they're going to try to take me on. They don't know who I am. Right. So we are up against Harris and L3, these big defense contractors who are throwing, you know, million dollar bids at this thing. We were way less. We were just, I mean, it was just three of us going to fly around the country and, and do this work. And uh, we won the contract and over an 18 month period, I traveled to every special forces armory and had access a civilian doesn't get sat with the armor spoke, you know, spent the day with an armor. We had interviewed, talking to them, just watch the workflow, watch what they were doing. And over that 18 months, we became the leading authorities on small storage and armory design. So, you know, if you back it up, you can pull it off, but that's uh so after that contract, we prepared our report. And then we had, during that time, we developed our, the secure tactical weapon storage platform, which is now, we call it Cradle Grid. And we presented that to the military in 2008. By 2011, we were the primary supplier to the military. The place, it just went nuts. They love what we were doing. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at SpartanForge.ai. Yeah, wow. Well, you said the That's one... Crazy story. <laughs> Dude, it, it is wild because you have to... Like, you... I'm, I guess I'm going out on a limb to say, you know, you're being a guitarist, you had that drive to better yourself. Right. And then you, when that didn't work out, you, your back was up against the wall and you're like, man, I, I, I saw these guys selling, making commission, but you weren't good at selling. So now instead of practicing your guitar, like you said, you're spending eight hours to better yourself, to be a better salesman. And then <laughs> I loved how you say we go in there and your partner was like, what, what was that? And you just, you took over. There's a mindset to that, right? There's something that you know, it, it's that, I, I I mean, what, what kind of, what would you say that was? You know what it is? And I didn't realize it till, till a long, long time afterwards is it's a complete inhibition to, or, or lack of worry about failure. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to me till, till much later in life that it was fear of failure was the biggest thing I saw keeping people from being successful. And for whatever reason, you know, when you're a guitar player, young kid playing guitar, if you can't deal with failure, probably not going to pursue <laughs> that because it's you're full of reject, full of mistakes, dumb stuff, big screw ups in front of lots of people. You just you get to the point you develop this, you know, what, I really don't care mentality. And you know, my dad always said when I was a kid, don't worry about what people think of you because for the most part, people don't think of you. And what he meant was everybody's got their own issues. You know, if, if you do something really stupid, you think it's embarrassing, two minutes later, nobody remembers it. So, uh, yeah, it's that, you know, I walked in there with a complete, I didn't care. If the guy could have said, what the hell are you talking about? You know, no, I, he could have said that and thrown us out. Yeah. But again, it's okay. I would have learned, but, you know, when you work, people who work at Secure and we hire people, you know, one of my early conversations with them is always um, don't worry about failure as long as you're learning. I would rather, you know, fail fast and learn. If you're going to take on a project, move quickly, make decisions quickly. If it fails, it fails. It's okay. Fail fast and, and, and fix it. Right. Don't, don't sit there. You know, so many people sit and they analyze and they analyze and they're killing themselves about a decision they got to make. I'm like, Make the damn decision. A week later, evaluate it. If it's wrong, change. change it. you know, the easiest yep. analogy is if you're driving down the street, you're driving on a country road, you got directions, but they're not 100% accurate. You're not 100% sure. You come to the fork in the road, you're going 60 miles an hour. You got three options. You can go left, you can go right, you can slow down and stop and really take a look at the directions, try to figure it out. 
Well, if you go right or left, 50-50 chance. If you're right, boom, you're way down the road. If you're wrong, there's a point where you realize it and you simply course correct and get back towards the correct direction. If you stop and analyze, you're not moving. And if you take those three scenarios, play them over and over again, the guy who stops is the guy who will always be in last place. Yep. So it's, it's all about, you know, it's a fear of failure of making decisions and realizing that all decisions in life can be wrong and you can still have a successful life as long as you're learning. Yeah. You I, know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's funny cause you make it sound so simple. <laughs> isn't it though? I, right. Right. I, I've always, uh, when you, again, when you walk in the company, secure it, you come in our main door, there's a big sign. It says innovate and simplify. And that's what cradle grid is. You know, the simplest solutions are the ones that withstand the test of time. Anybody can design a really complex system to solve a problem, but it's the real simple stuff. You know, junk drawer in your kitchen. What do you got? Pliers, duct tape, zip ties, and a screwdriver. The simplest tools solve the most problems. You know, cradle grid, our system, it's the simplest tool. It solves the most problems. Right. But yeah. Well, so you, you get rolling. It's basically bringing our U S military. And then obviously years later, like where we are now, when I say we, uh, you know, uh, we're talking, it's the modernizing it and basically simplifying and creating this modular system to make things yep. what we just talked about easier. What, what hiccups challenges did you face and have to overcome while you're building this, uh, this empire, basically this product, you know, um, the biggest challenge was government was, 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 um, Congress okay. and the government dealing with, um, you know, dealing with the purse strings. So we were, you know, 2008, we did cradle grid. We launched our system and we were rocking and rolling. I mean, we were, we we're still a small company. We we're crushing it. I became, I was a pilot. I bought a plane. I was flying all over the Northeast, going to meetings. I mean, we were the rock stars of armories and it was really cool. And Obama administration, the second year, it was 2013, maybe sequestration hit. Now, it was not an Obama, I'm not an Obama supporter. I don't I disagree with his policies. This is a con Congress problem. Mm -hmm. Sequestration was the forced military cutbacks. Pri years prior, somewhere in 2008 or years earlier, Congress was trying to pass a budget. And to get the budget passed, they made this agreement that if we can't agree on these things by 2012, mandatory cuts that were so deep in the military. We said, we'll make these cuts so deep that there's no way we won't get the budget done in 2012. Okay. Well, 2012 came and they didn't get it done. Forced mandatory cuts. Um, and that went right down to the unit guys. It was, it was brutal, but for us, I mean, we we're knocking out of the park and all of a sudden the faucet turned off the company. We went five and a half months without getting a single order. So I'm, you know, at that time I had a decent staff. We had a lot of stuff going on every two weeks, payrolls coming out every, you know, rent, all the bills are, you know, I'm just watching all of our reserves, all of our cash, everything is slowly just depleting. And I waited too long. I kept thinking positively things are going to turn around. We ended up laying people off. I ended up, I sold my plane. I mean, we got to a point where my wife and I were looking at selling our house. It was the last thing we owned of value and buying like a little farmhouse um, yeah, I have a house on a lake. It's a really pretty mountain lake area and it was worth some money. So we were going to sell that and get a little farmhouse. And then yeah, I got three little kids who had no idea what was going on. And, uh, then we got one order. It was like about a half a million dollar order, a little bit of some profit in it. And we said, you know what, that'll prop us up. That'll get us two or three months. And then, and slowly we clawed back out of it. And at that time, when we were at that point, is when we said, you know, we got to do something else. And the decision to go into retail mm -hmm. had that not happened, we never would have seen it. And it's, it's amazing when you look now that retail I mean, the military is, is not as big as it was, but they're back to spending money. The retail market is somewhere around $600 million a year in gun storage. The military market is 17 million. Big difference. You know, but, but again, why didn't I see that in 2008, 2009? It's you don't see the opportunities quite often until your back's against the wall. Or the other way, look, I talk to some of my people here is when, when they're at a point of 
decision or point of uncertainty, I said, look, jump off the cliff. You will find a place to land on the way down. As you get closer, eventually you're going to see the ground and you will find a a place to land. But that uncertainty scares a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I feel like, honestly, Tom, that's where personally, you know, I grew up in a Northeast Pennsylvania blue collar uh, family. My my parents were divorced. My mom worked multiple jobs, low paying jobs. And I lived with my grandparents for most of my life, basically. And uh, now I have a great relationship with my dad, but growing up, I did not. And yeah. I went to college, played baseball and things were tough. Right. And I did not continue on playing a professional level or even technically even finish out playing the D one level that I was hoping to do. Right. And became a teacher. Well, first I became, got my degree, became a a management in, in a manager at a hotel because of my undergrad, what hospitality management went back to school, did the teaching thing. And I was married at the time. My daughter was born. I needed a teaching job. I was working like three, four jobs. And you just said, having that back against the wall. And I feel like I do my best when things are tough, when I need to get my hands dirty and figure out that solution, no matter what it is. That's where I believe I do my best. It's when things are complacent and I just am getting by. I'm, I know for a fact I'm not my best. I don't think anybody is really, but that no. is when the times are tough, man. I, I kind of, I don't want to say I enjoy them, but I know the conversation we had, if things are going to go bad, it's okay. I know the sun's going to be up the next day. It might be gloomy, but man, I'm going to go after it and give it the best to get out of that situation. I, I absolutely, you're absolutely right. There's a Patrick Lenciani. He's got a whole bunch of books, but he's got a book. I can't remember the title of it. It talks from a business standpoint point. It talks about how companies at times of crisis rally to do unbelievable things. And his book is about how do you create a culture that feels like there's crisis. So they're always in that mode, but it's a, you know, you can't shut down. People have just got to, when everybody faces uh, crazy difficult times and the key is just to get up, you got to get up in the morning and move forward. Pick, you don't need to pick the right choice. You need to pick the best choice that's in front of you. And sometimes they all stink, yep. but pick one and go with it. Pick one, you know, how did I go? For, people always ask you, wait, you're a guitar player. Then you got, then computer supply. Now you're, you're building armories. I tell them, I said, you know what? I didn't set out to do this. I just turned over the next rock. Mm-hmm. And I just kept, I pursued the firearm storage, weapon storage. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, but here I am. I was, a, I was a heavy metal guitar player, with crazy hair, the whole bit, having a ball. And then I'm, running this computer supply business. You can't get more boring and mundane <laughs> than, than that computer supplies. Right. Especially and during that, in, in that era, right? You know, you, you, you hit it at the right time with the rock and roll heavy metal was, phase. Oh yeah. It was, uh, so this thing came up with weapon storage. I'm just like, this is cool. This is really cool. Now at the time, um, I was not an avid, I was, I was a good shot, but I was not, I didn't grow up with guns in my house. Um, I was not a, uh, a firearms kid growing up. I, my exposure to firearms was once a week at summer camp. Um, we had 22s and BB guns. It's interesting. Um, looking back though, I won the, the 22 competition and the BB competition first place, probably five years in a row. That's awesome. I just, I like the long range shoot now. I just kind of have a knack for, uh, for quieting that down. I think I'm kind of a spaz, but I think once you sit down and focus with a rifle, it kind of clears your head. Um, I don't get out to shoot as much as I'd like to, but, uh, I do find that very therapeutic, but, uh, yeah, I like that. Now let's talk about the consumer side of things. Like, you know, figuring out that, like we said, a solution, you came up with one because I I have a fast box model 47. Like I said, I have my, my security Maverick 88 in there. I love this thing and I've owned it for now a couple of weeks and it, this thing is really, really awesome. I've been practicing, but you know, what was your transition from this, you know, the, the armory storage of the military to, okay, now we need to figure out how could this help the everyday gun owner? Because there's different types of gun owners. Like you said, like I'm a hunter. I do own a couple other, you know, of guns for, you know, security purposes. I try to get my wife, you know, up on things as well to be, you know, comfortable using a firearm. But, you know, that's kind of where, where we are with that. So what kind of solutions were you looking for to solve in that, that 
clientele, basically. You know, it was, it's interesting because before we made the decision, the hard decision to go into retail, um, we did a lot of work down in, uh, in little Creek, um, was it Virginia beach mm-hmm. area, um, with all the seal teams. And there was a big show we would do there every year. ADS ran a big show at the convention center and we'd be down there with all our stuff decked out and all the team guys are coming by and they would always ask the time because do you guys have something for my, I need something for my house. I, we, you know, I love what you guys have done with the armories. I need something. And we kept hearing that from those guys and we'd work them deals. Like if we were doing a big military contract, we'd overrun the contract by a handful of cabinets and often to these guys at like a really discounted price. Mm-hmm. But that really had us thinking, you know, is there a need for this? And again, my background, I'm, I didn't grow I'm not a gun guy at this point. I'm just, I'm a guy who builds armories and, uh, so we started looking at the retail side. My first thought was, we've got this cool technology. Let's partner with safe manufacturers. Let's just license our technology into the safe industry. Let them sell the damn safes. And we're going to do what we do, kill, building armories and, uh, and uh, making our stuff. And I met with, you know, Liberty, Fort, all, most of the major U.S. manufacturers. Okay. And started doing my own research on gun safes and kind of better understanding the market and really quickly, how horrible they were. You noticed just, just, just the interiors to me, it, again, I didn't grow up with this stuff. Yeah. I was building military armories. I looked at the interiors. I'm, I was, why are you doing this? I couldn't answer the question because I could, because I didn't see a reason. Like, why are you making a safe with these little W's? You know, it's one row, a little W's. Well, guns are all different lengths. I said, you know, this idea that a 30 gun safe holds 30 guns is nonsense. Mm-hmm. It holds maybe 12. And it just, things weren't making sense to me with this. So I met with Liberty and uh, with their senior leadership team. And it was fascinating because, you know, they came to me, we had the fat boy junior there in the room with my system in it. And they're saying, Tom, the problem we have is your system in this safe holds 12 rifles. I'm like, Okay. And he goes, that's a 36 gun safe. I said, with all due respect, it's not right. You put 36 guns. There's no way you're going to fit 36 guns in there. And they're head of sales. Um, you know, there's a senior head of sales. He said, well, Tom, that's our industry's little white lie. We say 36. If Cannon says 38, we say 40. And I'm just, you know, I didn't, I didn't respond to it. I just kind of looked at him and kind of like I understood, but uh, that's when the lights start really going off that, we're not going to work with the safe industry. These guys, their motivation is not the correct motivation. Okay. Yeah. You know, their, their motivation is we want to make metal boxes and sell them, which is fine. I, I believe in capitalism. Our mission early on was, you know, we got into this cause we thought it was cool, but then also, you know, America was coming out of the Gulf war and we we're like, what can we do to help the war fighter? What can we do? What can I do to help make these guys safer, better prepared? Then we started looking at consumer products and like, what can we do to make people safer and better prepared? And the gun safe was not the answer. And the more I dug into it, the, the more I didn't like what they were doing, how they were doing it. And more importantly, why they were doing it. Their why was, it was just wrong. So we said, you know what, we're going to approach the home the way we approach an armory and really design system. That's like, why do people buy guns? Mm-hmm. A handful of reasons. One of the biggest is home defense. Second is hunting. And then you go into sports shooting. So how do you, how does home defense, how do you want to store guns? Well, first and foremost, every gun needs to be locked. In my opinion, um, all guns should be secured out of sight. Nobody should know that you own firearms. And kids in a home should not have access to seeing a gun. Trigger locks are horrible. A, you can't get them off mm-hmm. um, quickly. And they just, the gun is, is visible. So it's our first thing. Design all of our solutions. The guns are locked up. You can't see them. Secondly, they need to be discreet so nobody knows they're there. They all need to be fast access, meaning two to three second access at the most. Um, and we just, those are just simple things that we thought about. Started designing solutions that really came up with the principles of decentralized storage, which is instead of putting all your guns in one big heavy safe, break that up and put your guns in. If you got a lot of firearms, locate them in four or five small safes yep. in locations that actually, you know, we started looking at locations that make more sense. And I did start doing research on this one afternoon and it was really fun. It took a long time to find the data. But once I found the data, and this was going into DOJ, 
FBI records online. I started digging and digging on crime statistics and, and putting this all together. And the little light went on one day. I'm like, holy cow, we've got this. When you actually break down crime data, thief, I mean, if you're worried about burglary, things being stolen, a thief breaks into your home, he's going to go to the master bathroom, master bedroom closet, home office den, dining room, he's out of the house, typically less than 10 minutes. They want prescription drugs. Yep. If they don't get, if they get those, they leave. They don't get those. Next, they want jewelry, valuables. They don't get those. They leave. They go to home office, den, a piece of electrical equipment, piece of piece of tech. If they don't get that dining room, maybe some silver, and then they leave. So when you look at where do you store valuables, where do you store firearms in your home? Well, anybody with if you got like jewelry, fancy watches, anything of value, storing it in your master bedroom is your least secure. I always tell people kitchen pantry is safest room in your house. Thieves don't steal food. Yeah. At least not yet. With the way the world's going, it'll change. But yeah. So we looked at that and just, you know what? In your bedroom, one fast access safe for a firearm. If a wife is, and husband are both proficient, one per person. A small safe in your kitchen. If it's a handgun, a small discreet handgun safe. I have a, a Agile 52. I have six. I've, I've got a big gun collection now. So my kitchen, I've got a... Uh, in my pantry, I've got a, a gun, a cabinet in there with six rifles, one of which is an AR-15 that's racked, ready to roll, CQB optics, got a light on it. And the rest is part of my collection. The closet by your front door, extremely secure. Thieves ignore closets. Mm-hmm. Just coats in there. I've got another six-gun cabinet in there. I've got some lever action, some vintage stuff. I've got a Mossberg 500 and an AR-15. And then my den, I've got just a small handgun safe. I don't do... Uh, Dens aren't particularly secure. I, I just do that. The bulk of my collection is in a guest bedroom at the end of a hallway. And the room is empty. There's a made bed with a nightstand with a lamp and a chair and nothing else in the room. Piece of generic art in the wall. In that closet, it's a sliding double door closet. It's wide. I've got a whole bunch of edges, a wall, and I've got the bulk of my collection. Thieves running their house are going to look in their guest room. They're not going to waste their time. And it's at the end of a hallway. So in the event of an invasion... If you get to that, you get to that room, and now I've got a you know constriction, but I've got a corridor that there's no way they're going to get to us. We control that space, um, and that you know that's that's kind of what we put together, and it really got put together in a matter of a couple of hours one day when I'm doing all this research, and all of a sudden it just kind of came to me, holy cow! The safest places in your home, the thieves never go are great places where you are in your front door, access to a gun right there. People spend a ton of time in their kitchens nowadays. Yeah. Quick access right there. Plus you got an exit point from the home. You can arm yourself and get out. So it's uh it seems just to all to me that just makes sense. Right. Right. And uh, so that's kind of the way we did it. And what we're really focused on now, when you look at the firearms industry, there's two sides to this industry. One big side and one tiny side, but the big side is the performance side of firearms. And that is your guns. That's your gear. That's, you know, you're an avid hunter. I'm now an avid hunter. And um, also I love long range shooting. I, I'm trying to shoot more clays. They just seem to get missed a lot by me, but it's all performance. So I'm like investing in better shotguns with, with better adjustability. Clothing wise, I'm buying performance clothes. If I'm doing you know tactical training, you've got all the com- the gear. Yep. It's all perf- and all that gear is designed to to allow you to execute to perform better. Right. You've got gun safes. Gun safes sit outside of the performance side of the industry. When you're done at the end of the day, clean your guns, take a shower, all your stuff, go go have a beer with the guys, and the guns go in the safe in the basement. It's the it's I use the term it's a dumb piece of equipment. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean it's not part of the performance of what you're actually doing. And we're secure it sits. We sit on the performance side. When you buy my solutions, you put them into your home, and we tell everybody, look. If you're going to, if you're at, if you train for, let's say, you know, defensive handgun training a lot or tactical carbine training, you're practicing your draw, your dry fire, and you're going through all your drills. You should be. They teach you drills. I'm a big believer in, in, in drills. I love doing Me drills. Too. That goes back Me to too. my guitar days. But the dry fire drills, we also say, okay, now you got to practice your access. So every night before you go to bed, if you got a fast box under your bed, every night in the dark, reach down, don't. Try to rush it just deliberately. Do that lock, open it, 
then close it, lock it up, and go to sleep. After 30, 40 days, you no longer think about it. Just do it. Just do it. Correct. Because somebody, if all of a sudden there's gunfire in your home, you're going to have tunnel vision. You're going to, the whole world, you're going to be in slow motion. You're going to lose dexterity in your fingers. You know, that fight or flight response does a lot of bad things to our ability to perform. Mm -hmm. But if you get the muscle memory, your brain doesn't have to do it. It's already, it's pushed down deeper into your brain where it now is subconscious. And you'll do that. I got, when I pull a jacket out of my front, my closet, I reach in, I do that lock. I open it and I close it. Yep. I, I can open that agile cabinet and remove a gun. If I'm at the door of the closet, I'm going to say I can be armed in less than two seconds. It's so because it's, it's, I've just done it so much. So we're really this year focused on performance firearm storage. Cause that's America is, is going high performance in everything. Right. People are getting outside from sports to the equipment we have now is so good. I mean, hunting gear is just, yeah. it's, you know, I got my, my kids out hunting. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you're not even cold. <laughs> <laughs> I froze my butt off. Yep. yep. We had you frostbite. That's well, they came out, you know, we're out. It's really, it was cold. It was a cold morning. It maybe it's three degrees. I mean, it's, and so my, my kids all ski. We live right next to some ski areas. They've got those little, you know, those little glove warmers, mm-hmm. but the little, there's boot warmers. He's got them all in his hat. He's got, it was it was brilliant from that point on. And when I go out and it's really cold, I bring those warmers. You put two or three of those warmers in a hat so the back of your neck and your ears are warm. I've sat out in you know nine degrees for three four hours. I'm good. Yeah, it's That's amazing good. how well. And it takes you know it takes a 14 year old kid to teach you that. <laughs> yeah, to teach you that. But again, the gear's gotten so good. But secure it this year. Um, is focusing heavily on performance. We're hosting a series of training events this year. Oh, wonderful. Um, we did our first, it's called an event out in uh, at Gunsight Academy out in uh, Arizona, which those guys are so good. They opened up their, their place, their facility to us, and they we had a great, great, great training. It was, it was all women. Um, great event. We're hosting our second event is going to be in June in, I think it's in Illinois. I don't, Karen Hunter is our business development uh, manager and she's the one putting it together, but we want to get all over the country and the events are going to be focused on firearms proficiency, but it really is teaching people that access is part of the performance package. Mm-hmm. Guns need to be secured out of sight, but just because they're secured out of sight doesn't mean you still like you forget it. Access. Right. I mean, I mean, yes, if you're going to carry, you will have a little bit faster access. Most people do not want to carry a gun in their, in their home. Right. They just don't. And I don't. I mean, it's just, so we're really looking at that. And we've got some new products coming out later this year. Um, we've got a handgun storage solution that's going to be a real game changer in how you secure firearms in your home in terms of efficiency mm-hmm. and basically allowing people to do a lot more by spending a lot less. That'll be out in probably September of this year. That's exciting. And we launched several other handgun storage products this year, which they're all doing very well. I, the one thing that I really like about is how modular you could really create your, your box. And when it could, like, even right now, like just some of the, you know, whether it be extra ammo or if you have a silencer or you have those little cradles that you're able to put in there and it, you know, kind of like what you're saying, the old school guns being the W and that's exactly it's, it's fixed, right? This isn't, you could tailor this to what your needs are. And I think that is a huge you know, thing for gun owners that are looking for that, like you said, exactly. I mean, obviously this is your baby, this is your product, but it makes to me perfect sense. It's on that performance side, right? That is making it that, that better side of things. Well, people, especially in fire, people want to know they're doing things right. That's why we all train. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't shoot as much as I'd like to, but I never miss an opportunity to take a training class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I try to get, I'll go out for three day classes wherever I can, because I think it's fun. Yep. I mean, I don't practice enough. I don't, can, I don't carry a firearm. I don't conceal carry. I'm, I don't train enough to do it. And right. I'm not I just, for me, it's, it's, I also, I live in a small town that just, I live in Mayberry. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's like Andy Griffith, not much going on. Um, but you know, our system, the modular nature of it, it comes down again to simplicity. It's only a handful of moving parts, but it's what they can do. You know, the, in the military, 
the Marine Corps, we did MARSOC West, which is the largest military armory in, in the U.S., huge facility. And that's, that's their, like, the, the Marine Corps Special Forces group. They call our, our rack the Tetris rack because the armor starts at the bottom and mm-hmm. just builds. Those are our Model 84 cabinets. The uh, third group at Fort Bragg, they, they call it the Lego rack for the same reason. The armors could just build what they wanted. And in the military, our advantage, I've got one moving part for their weapons. Whether he has an MP5 or an M4 or a Mark 19 grenade launcher, a 50 or a shoulder launch you know, rocket system, he walks up to the rack, adjusts the saddle with one hand, puts the gun in with the other, no tools on the fly. It's that easy. Right. In the military, our competitors had weapon racks that had, you know, 70 or 80 different brackets for the different guns. You had to have screwdrivers and tools. It just didn't work. So we just tried to make the simplest possible solution that would store it. And we say proper storage with our solution, all your guns, are stored free and clear. Scopes are never touching. No rifle touches the other rifle. The guns are sitting in the saddle, which is an olefin nylon blend. It doesn't off-gas. We do a lot of museums. And most of the materials in a gun safe are banned from use in museums for corrosion reasons. Um, They're banned from military use for corrosion reasons. So everything we do is museum grade, meaning you can have true relic firearms and you won't get a line in the gun from the plastic off-gassing. so it's, it's, you know, we're just trying to approach this from the standpoint of what's the best thing we can do for the firearm and what's the best thing we can do for the guy who owns the firearm. Right. And, that, and that's our motivation, whereas, you know, the safe industry as it's been has been how do we make it cheaper? How do we, how do we get printed so it holds more? Yep. And they're just trying to pack in as many little Ws as they can to say it's a 60-gun safe. But most gun owners don't. They're not interested in packing everything they can into a little box. They want to actually store their guns in a way where the, where the show, so, you know, I would say respect does know when you close the door, they show some respect for your firearms. Right. I always laugh because recently, I think it was the last two, maybe a year and a half ago, my dad used to have this old wooden, you know, glass open door, yep. you know, it locked and it had all our hunting r- rifles and shotguns and the ammunition and other various handguns in it. And he was wanting to get rid of it for, the longest time to, and he pawned it off to my brother, my younger brother. So now my, and I was just like, man, you got it. Luckily it was, it was big, but it wasn't insane. But, but even like now, like some of these crazy vault, just, I don't know. They don't like, I, the look of your answer, uh, lightweight model eight, that is the one that when I move into a new house, that is the sucker I'm buying (laughs) because it's, I don't know. It's it. That's the like, I don't know. That's, that's what I, the one I'm, I'm very like, drawn to. When you look at the mixture of gear and guns, answer eight, answer 12, there's, yeah, people are amazed at how much stuff you can organize. And I always tell, I mean, it's, it's funny. My wife's not a hunter. Um, she's a very patient wife, but if my gear is organized, put away and out of sight, she's very happy. And I can always buy more. <laughs> this, I've noticed that, when, when a wife gets frustrated as you're buying another piece of equipment, it's only because she can see the other three that you got. Mm-hmm. But if everything's organized, put away, you know, out of sight, out of mind. It's, uh, it works well. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, well, what about, like you were saying earlier about having potentially new handguns, uh, you know, boxes coming out? You know, what did we, I guess, what is your goal with that? Because, you know, that uh, I mean... You, you know, yeah, it's real simple. It's real simple is, you know... We want to make America, we want to change the way American gun owners think about firearm storage and consider storage as part of their performance of what they're trying to do. And then really we want to make it so that there's so many first time gun buyers and there's so much bad information out there. There's great information too. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to, on the storage side, get people just to, just to slow down, stop and think, when do I need this? Where do I need this? Why do I need this? Start asking some questions and we're coming up with solutions that allows a, like a, you've got a woman who's got two kids. She lives, she's single. She has a firearm. How does she best, how does she best secure a firearm in her home? Well, at night next to your bed in the bedroom, that's great. 
you know, secure, fast access, small little safe. You get up in the morning, now you, see you got a two-story house, you're downstairs. Well, if your gun's up in your bedroom, that's not doing you any good. Right. If, you, if you are concerned about home invasion or break-in. So does that mean you have to buy two safes? And you bring the gun downstairs and put it in the safe in your kitchen? Do you put a safe in your den? I mean, theoretically, the answer would be, well, yes. Well, now you've got someone who maybe financially that's, that's a burden. Mm-hmm. We're coming up with a solution that allows you to secure a firearm throughout your home quickly without having to buy multiple safes. That's awesome. It, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a safe, it's a transport case. It's a flight approved case. It's a go to the range case. It's a, it's an integrated solution that allows you to live with fire, a firearm or multiple firearms in your home in a way that nobody's ever done it before. Exciting, man. That's really exciting. And, and, and also it, it secures in your car. Okay. So the, the locking solutions are from fast access home solutions to discrete locking in your car, but you're basically taking a case that holds a firearm and then you're buying multiple locks inexpensively. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the solution. And the case itself is pretty simple, but it pops open and presents the gun so you can grab it and you are at a position to discharge a firearm if you had to. Wow, that's exciting. I, I'm excited for that one. Well, let's kind of transition because you said about yeah. having having your your ki- your children <laughs> going out. Uh, do you take them out hunting? I know, like we said, you're coming from that Northeast. What what has the you know, like you said, like shooting long range and going out with? Uh, I know just from doing a little bit of research and everything like that, and how you're saying. I, I do want to like talk a little bit about the hunting side of things, but then also the, your, your personal health side of things, because you've, you've done some, some unique things that kind of better you know, yourself. Uh, <laughs> and so you against the wall, you do crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the hunting with kids, it's now my kids are all, my oldest lives in London. Now he okay. graduated from King's college and uh, my daughter is in Savannah going to college of art and design. And my youngest is now in West Virginia university. So they're all kind of gone. Yeah. Yep. Um, my, uh, my youngest is not, Charlie has not been out hunting. He just, he has not done a hunter safety course. He doesn't seem to be interested in it. He's very good with a carbine. He's very, we've done a lot of training classes. Um, my oldest, we've done my, the, me and the boys, we used to do a tra- every summer we do the three day training class with Paramount tactical in Virginia. Um, Gary Melton, I know he's a friend. And one year, my oldest won the, the top shot. And then a year later, my youngest won the top shot. So they're both <laughs> proficient. Um, Colton is being, he just, with college, he's my oldest. The way his travel schedule is, hunting season is so short in New York State. Um, we were out last year. He was home for Christmas. We went out and muzzle loader for two yeah. days. And uh, we saw deer, but we didn't have a shot. Yeah. And my wife, we have a 500 acre hunting ranch, about 12 minutes from my house. It's spectacular, wooded, rugged terrain, a lot of deer. Um, we have a ball out there and we had a great time. And that's exciting. If you fill the freezer, that's great. But, you know, it's interesting. My high point last year hunting was bow. I, I was out bow season. I just, I was out and out and out. I never drew my bow. I sat in a tree stand for, you know, three weeks, but I got a video of two four point bucks underneath my tree stand, just sparring and slowly walking. Them. Just, they were just practicing like fighting one day. <laughs> yeah, just, but that's the stuff that you see. I, mm-hmm. I talked to my wife doesn't hunt. I'm saying, honey, I need to, I want to bring you out this summer. I get up really early. I want to put you in a tree stand in the dark, just sit and watch the forest wake up. And she wants, she's really excited about doing it because it's so I find it fascinating to watch the forest go from that calm of dark and you start getting those noises and things. And as the light gets brighter, the, the phases of the forest change pretty quickly and what the noises are till you're in the full sun. It's a whole different experience. Yep. But that transition is just fun to watch. You see so many interesting things. Yep. Well, you should take her even out here this spring and hopefully you have some yeah. good turkey on, on your property. And we do, we do have a lot of turkey on the property. So we've got to, uh, I'm hoping this year will will be a good year for that. Yeah, just bring her out there, listen listen to them hammer off the roost or something along those lines. It because it's the same thing. I love man as a kid, I loved hunting. I grew up doing it. It's what I you know. That's obviously it's even transitioned to now as an adult. But 
there were times where when you're that young teenager where girls and sports and other, you know, friends are, are more important than, than, you know, hitting the woods. And it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm out here all day. And when I don't see anything, I'm bored. I wish I was with my girlfriend or I wish I was with this friend or whatever, have it. And now I, like I said, don't get me wrong. I love being with my family that they are number one. But sometimes when you have those days, that solitude in the woods where the, the leaves are yellow and orange and it's you, like you said, you, you feel a different connection to where you're at. And that is, I love that feeling. It's uh, my wife has said, she goes, we bought the land two and a half years ago. And she said, that's your new mistress, isn't it? <laughs> I, I usually up around four thirty-five, and I'm up pretty early in the summers. I get up, I head out to the farm and I'm on a tractor. I'm doing something, working on food plots. And I, I go to work at nine o'clock and almost, almost every day. I was telling you, I said, you know what? In another life, I would have been a farmer. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just, I just, I'm out there all alone. You know, there's certain pr- things that I will do and don't do. Um, I don't do chainsaws if I'm alone. Um, there's certain, just my wife said, all right, honey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah take it. <laughs> but, uh, I just love building the property out, putting up stands. We're going to, I'm going to rent a, uh, one of those forestry. Yep. Uh, uh, what is it? It says skid steer with a forestry head on it. Yep. 72 inches of pure hate. And I'm going to put, I've got access. I've got areas of this property that nobody goes to cause it's just so dense. So I'm going to build up, put a lot of roads in and I've got the ability to put in about 11 to 1200 yards of range. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to get active shooting on the property. I don't want to disturb the property. Yeah. I'm going to put up a little bit of steel and once in a while go out there and uh, rip some shots. Yeah, do that. But yeah. uh, my wife said, honey, don't put a range in. I don't want all that shooting up there. And she's <laughs> like, I, I got ranges around. I got 600 yards, you know, 15 minutes away at a range, yeah. but, uh, but we'll n- do it. Yeah. It'd be nice to, like you said, call it your own little, little yeah. escape basically. And then, you know, like I just said about some things you've done personally to improve your health, you know, where are you with, Still doing the carnivore? Are you not doing it? What, what's I am, uh, it's uh, it's funny. So yeah, give your give the listeners. So my health has been deteriorating for uh, several years, and I'm a healthy guy. You know, I'm the guy that eats lean protein, a lot of salmon, salads, veggies. I right. I mean, I eat a super healthy diet, and I've had arthritis was getting really bad. You know, I get up in the morning and I couldn't close my hands without running hot water on them. Uh, liver enzymes were tracking worse and worse and worse doing ultrasounds on my liver, trying to figure out what's going on. Why is your liver getting so bad? And that liver is an organ that you don't want to mess with. You know, that's one of the ones you don't want to screw up. My PSA, uh, PSA number, you know, prostate cancer, a guy with a PSA of four is considered really high. Mine was 13. Oh my. So I've, I've had a, I've had multiple biopsies. I had a computer controlled MRI biopsy because they were convinced I had cancer and they didn't find anything. And I said, what, what's causing all this? And he said, looks like it's just inflammation or something. You know, just, and they didn't know. He didn't, nobody had any ideas. Um, so I just started doing my own research on inflammation. And the tendonitis flared up really bad on me uh, two years ago. I'm an avid golfer, and uh, I've not been able to swing a golf club in two years. I struggle sometimes to drive. It's been, it's been really bad mm-hmm. in my elbows. But uh, I started doing research on inflammation, and it came back to carnivore diet. And so I switched July 20th of last year. I went pure carnivore, just cold turkey, just red meat and water. And uh, my wife freaked out. She was, she was really scared. She's like, honey, you're, she's like, you're already got these health issues. Don't do this. I said, honey, look, the world's not going to change in 90 days. In November, I've got my annual checkup, do my blood work. If things don't look good, honey, I'll be the first one to jump. And uh, I lost She's 30 pounds. I mean, I'm not a big guy, but she's like, honey, you're getting too thin. You're getting, you know, I felt great. Mm-hmm. And uh, did my blood work in November and my doctor was absolutely floored. Wow. Cause it was my, I said, liver enzymes. He goes, they're fine. PSA, my PSA was six, still monster high, right. but down 13 right. and everything else. And I, I was on high blood pressure medicine, which once you start taking high blood pressure medicine, your body addicts to it. You, it's almost impossible to get off of it. So my blood pressure was, was low. It was good. It was really good. So it took me three months of slowly reducing the dosage. I'm now off of all medications. Wow. But good my doctor, you. he was funny because he said, he said, Tom, he goes, you got to get some vegetables though. <laughs> I said, I said, why? They were killing me. He's like, well, I said, look, I said, okay, doc, 
Do you got anybody else at 61 years old that's got blood work as good as mine right now? He goes, good point. <laughs> so maybe I'll convert him. I don't know. It's, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. You know, Jordan Peterson did the talk on Rogan about the carnivore diet. And there's buzz about it. It's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. You know, you go out to a nice restaurant, and I'm thinking seafood risotto. I'm thinking, you know, with my daughter, chocolate lava cake for dessert. You know, just all oh, this. There's so much great food <laughs> in the world. And uh, a glass of red wine. I've got a wine cellar. I, I can't drink wine anymore. Wine really screws I discovered that wine really screws me up. Okay. I have a little bit of bourbon occasionally. I'll have a, uh, like a Woodford Reserve or a, I like Jameson's. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I've got to be very careful because if I find myself like around the holidays, you're having a, a drink every night, a couple of drinks. All of a sudden I wake up I'm like, wow, my arthritis is back. So it's, uh, I've come to the realization personally that the medical community is wrong in their approach. Um, hang on one second. They're, uh, the medical community, I use my own example, is a lot of things were going south on me, and their only response is, okay, this is what we see. These drugs can correct these issues. Yep. And that's that's what they do. So I'm on a beta blocker. I'm on a cholesterol. I'm on all these medications slowly building. You know, I've got – my father-in-law's got you – know, he's on 35 pills a day. He's in his 80s. Um, and nobody addresses the cause. And I'd be like, let's – why should I start taking a pill until I know why? Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in why, asking why about everything. And uh, so I began doing the research, and as it works out, green vegetables are full of natural toxins so that plants, so that animals don't eat them. Okay. Yeah, good, man. The, idea, the goal of the DNA of that plant is to reproduce, to produce seed so we can reproduce. So plants have natural toxins so animals won't eat the seed. I mean, if you look at apples, you know, apple pits, um, peach pits, they have cyanide in the, in the seeds and in the pits. Right. So animals won't eat them. Right. And for most people, they adapt and they're used to it. But for some people, maybe more than we think, um, those toxins can have a real effect on you. And if you're, if you're getting up there in life and all of a sudden you've got high blood pressure, oh, cut back on sodium. That's what they always say. Yeah. I eat meat. And when I say meat, I'm the fattiest cuts of meat. I eat 30% fat. If I've got a lean, a lean piece of steak, I've got two tablespoons of butter with it, maybe more, because fat is where all my energy comes from. And I use a ton of salt. So I am the opposite of what they will tell you, but my blood pressure with no medication is 117 over 73. I take it every morning. Yeah, that is one aspect that I've been trying to do a little bit more research on is like your sodium imbalance, right? Yeah. Like your electrolytes and everything like that, because it is very interesting to see when you really track and you hone in on how you feel you know, over a period of time, right? It's not just an overnight thing where you can notice the feel, but if you really do, um, it could really have a... a positive impact on, on, or or negative, or or negative. Right. Right. A lot of times I've, you know, in the nineties, I was for a while before I had kids, business was doing well. I got into racing cars. I drove an RX seven and SCCA on the West coast. And, uh, uh, I did well, Mm -hmm. but we're racing. It's it's like 92 degrees inside the car is 110. And I find myself drinking Gatorade all day. And if I'm drinking Gatorade for a day that night, I was so screwed up. The next day I couldn't think straight. I couldn't, I couldn't, why do I feel so bad? And I realized you're getting all these electrolytes, all these, all the, you're, you're, I'm overdoing it, potassium levels. And I realized, holy cow. So I stopped and went to just drinking water and, and taking salt and taking basic, you know, basic nutritional food. And it made, it made a world of difference. So it's when you're, you know, when your electrolytes are wrong, you'll feel good. And when they tell you you got high blood pressure, Cut back low sodium, low sodium. You know what? Low sodium will get you to lose a little water weight and your blood pressure can go down. But at what cost? When you're low, really low sodium, your electrolytes, your body is no longer transmitting electricity mm-hmm. as efficiently mm-hmm. as it does. And that's what you're, I mean, that's what we are. are. Yeah. So why are they telling you low sodium when I went off of vegetables, pure protein? I lost 10 pounds in four days. Wow. It was all water. Mm-hmm. And I struggle. And the struggle now is dehydration because I don't hold a lot of water. Now, if you just drink pure water all day, you flush out all your salts. So I actually take 
I have a big thermos full of water in the morning and I buy this, uh, it's a mineral mix. And then I take salt. Whenever I have a big glass of water, I shake salt into it every time just to keep my salt, my sodium levels up. And you know what? I don't yawn. I'm, I, I'm going a hundred percent all day long at about eight 30 to nine 30 at night. I turn off. I would talk to my wife at the kitchen. We're in the kitchen just talking. All of a sudden she looks over and she says, go to bed. I'm sitting in my eyes. are closed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm collapsing. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And I, I go to sleep early and I wake up at four 35 in the morning. I, I need less sleep than I used to. And, uh, I'm a hundred percent. That's awesome. It's, it's pretty cool. It's but again, it's not for it's everybody, a, right? I guess, you know, until, until you. Yes. And when I travel, like I, you know, if I'm, I was in Brussels with my son, I don't, I just, I'm enjoying life. Yeah. I'm not, I am not a, uh, ideal, I'm an ideological or whatever I call it about this diet. It's just, for me, it's a way of eating that works for me. Exactly. That's exciting, Tom, man. I, this was awesome. I, I had a great time talking to you i uh, i mean i'm excited for what you have coming out with secure for as far as the handgun situation and i'm excited for what you guys continue to bring to just an everyday consumer uh individual when it comes to gun storage right for armory storage and everything like that so i really appreciate your time for coming on tom where could people follow check out what you have going on i'm sure the website would probably be the number one yeah, aspect it's just- if you Google secure it, yep. we're all over the place. We've got a lot of YouTube videos out. There's a lot of other people that have created a lot of content for us. And, uh, but yeah, just Google secure it. Secure it gun storage is the website. Ton of information out there. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear how, how your wife likes the, <laughs> the, the woods. And I'm excited for, uh, again, like you said, the, the smaller handgun box, there are a lot of cool things to, to stay in touch about. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to staying connected. Well, everybody, please go check out Tom, go, uh, check out exactly what, uh, we were just talking about with secure it, check it out. You will not be disappointed again. Uh, like I said, I have that fast box model 47. I love it. It's really, really just perfect for underneath the bed storage. There's other things that I, again, I want to look into of adding to, uh, uh, you know, my little situation I have already going on. So thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week until next time. Antler up.